American dream has become a nightmare. Signs of the time are on cardboard on corners in town. Like a cancer that's silently spreading, there's an unspoken fear. We're on our way down. We must take America back, Main Street to Wall Street. Oh, welcome back, folks, to the Republic Broadcasting Network Rebel and the Renegade Roundtable. And we are discussing tonight the border issue in Texas. But, uh, you know, we probably should be talking about the border issue everywhere, including the northern borders as well, because I'm getting reports there coming across the northern borders from Canada. And so it looks like we are being enveloped in a total attack here. But we were also going to talk, especially now that several people uh, in several states are seeing a real problem with this, and they're talking secession. So, Dave, you said you had some thoughts on secession. How about uh, sharing them with us, please, sir? Well, sure. Uh, happy to. Uh, and I'll just add one last thing about people coming into the country. Another way people come in is they simply fly on an airplane, get a tourist visa, and then just don't leave. There's <laughs> there's no way to even calculate how many people are doing that. And then to add on top of that, the government admits to legally letting over a million people in a year plus chain migration, so that of up to 10 family members. So in theory, they're letting in possibly up to 10 million people a year legally. And, you know, the great conservative Republicans want to, as part of this border deal, they actually want to make the immigration process faster so that, it'll, it'll, so that you can get through the whole process in like under six months instead of a year, which is the way, or a year or longer, which is the way it is now. So just that food for thought there. Uh, and uh, as far as uh, succession, um, you know, I think it's uh, I, I do think we're going to reach a point where various states, uh, it's going to become a more and more popular idea uh, because of all the elements we've been talking about. But you and I have talked in the past that every governor has some type of controller that uh, watches over them and makes sure they don't step out of line. Jesse Ventura, I believe, was the first one to sort of publicly say that because when he became governor of Minnesota, he said he was visited by two guys in dark sunglasses and dark suits with military haircuts that proceeded to kind of tell him, well, you're not really the governor. You kind of are, but there's rules here that you have to follow. Uh, And um, so I think that any attempt at secession will be met with um, great resistance and the people that get involved are going to have to know that um, they're possibly going to have to sacrifice their lives for what they're doing. Uh, you can't enter into something like that without that realization, because otherwise you're kidding yourself and you're not prepared for what may come. Not that I want people to be dying, but these people are very serious and they will kill you or at least try to um, if something like this happens. And, you know, I think what it's going to come down to is when they use the police or whoever, the military, to try to force states to stay in the union, 
we're going to see how willing these people are willing, if they're willing to die for their job. Because they're essentially just doing a job. They're fighting for a job, for a paycheck. And we'll, there'll be a, a, a clash of wills uh, and to, to see who believes in their cause more. And I, I think this could end up being a very hot situation. Um, and it's going to take an incredible amount of commitment for the people to get involved in it because uh, you're going to be playing with your very life. But ultimately, if one state can do it, uh, the whole house of cards may fall apart, and they know that. So the first state that tries to do it will will, will face the, the worst resistance, and that will include trying to destroy the economy of that area. Uh, who knows? Even putting some of the kind of disease there. Uh, you know, I, I think anything's on the table at that point, Mike. Oh, I think that is a valid assessment. I've got some comments I would like to throw in there, but uh, let's uh, get uh, Stephen Douglas Whitener's thoughts on this before we move forward. Go ahead, Stephen. Well, when you mentioned that uh, talk that they had with Jesse Ventura, I think in the basement, if I recall right, about what was really going on, I was reminded of the briefing you described, Mike, of the pres- new presidents get with those photographs on the desk. Mention that. D- d- describe that for us again. Well, I was told this by L. Fletcher Prouty, and he said that uh, anytime a new president is elected, they have a foreign affairs committee meeting that they go into where they're briefed on all of this other stuff all of the things that are going on in the country and all of those things to bring them up to speed. But he said that at the end of the table where this briefing is covered, that there are pictures of JFK, RFK, and MLK. No mention is made of those pictures, but the pictures are large enough that you would have to be an idiot not to get the inference. So they are telling the new people who come in, just like Jesse Ventura was warned as a governor, is that, look, you may think you're in charge, but you're not. So go ahead, Stephen. Exactly. And if you step over that line, and that is a foreign affairs committee, too. It's like, do not interfere with uh, our business interests over there kind of thing. I don't know. It just, they show, you get to vote for the puppet, but never the puppeteer. That's just what it boils down to, and that that's, that's, that's the, the flaw in the system, I guess. There's only one puppet. Well, there may be more than one puppeteer, actually. Sometimes I think maybe that's someone. Yeah, but you never get a vote in the puppeteer, and you definitely can't outbid them. Well, wasn't it Mark Twain who said uh, if voting would actually change anything, they'd make it illegal? I agree completely. That's I, I, It's rubber stamping our slavery. And well, I, I agree. Guys, I've been saying for the longest time, and you know, I've uh, developed a lot of haters for this, but the Constitution and voting is the pacifier that the government provides for you while you're being raped. And I, I don't know, uh, Dave, is that a good analogy, or am I off base here? Well, I think that's exactly right, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying. When you see these people interviewed on the news after they vote, 
they get this certain arrogance about them like they're important all of a sudden like they're have they have a say in what happens in the country and uh, you know if the, you, you made a good point earlier what would happen if they had an election and nobody showed up uh, you know that would be that would end the legitimacy of the government pretty much overnight some countries have actually made voting mandatory where you have to vote and that's a pretty good strategy from their point of view but um, I would just add lastly that uh, voting is the grand illusion and um, it really is the pacifier, Mike. That's a very good way of putting it. Well, one of the things that I've thought about for, and this is just so in your face, but no one wants to look at it. In the year 2000, the United States Supreme Court ordered the people in Florida to stop counting votes. And they gave the election to George W. Bush and Republicans everywhere cheered This is great. This is just the greatest thing in the world. Then in 2020, when a crooked election hands the election to Joe Biden instead of Donald Trump, they're in the streets screaming and yelling. How can you better describe a double-minded man? Well, yeah, yeah, sure. And, of course, Al Gore conceded without any type of... um, you know, uh, resistance. And uh, that's part of what you're supposed to do is, is when the decision is made, uh, whether it be a football game or the election, you go along with the, uh, results and you will be rewarded, uh, in many ways. And of course, Al Gore is a billionaire now, thanks partly to his role. They assigned him with, um, being Mr. Climate change. He's actually become a billionaire through, uh, trading karmic carbon credits, on the Chicago stock market and other things. Uh, and of course, you know, Al Gore's family was very close to Armin Hammer, who was, you know, working with the communists uh, during uh, the so-called Cold War. His uh, Al Gore's father was uh, very chummy and quite close. They went on family vacations together, in fact, uh, with uh, Armin Hammer. Oh, yes, most definitely. And, uh, wasn't it uh, his father? Wasn't he really big in the civil rights movement during the 60s? Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah, that uh, fits right into the program. But uh, let me ask you, gentlemen, a question now. And here's something that I think that they use to kind of corral us in. And that is this, is that everyone is seems to be sitting around waiting for a state to secede. They're waiting for a state. And it is my contention, gentlemen, that a state will not be will not be effective. They're not going to do it because they'll send in the military. They'll send in their drones. They have, you know, they have overwhelming power over a state. Military power. And especially if they put these illegals into uniforms like Dick Durbin and Mark Levin are screaming for. What more, what better way if Texas said, uh, if Abbott actually grew a pair and said, oh, yes, we're going to secede, here is our secession documents, well, how soon do you think it would be a replay of 1861 when Texas would be invaded by immigrants in uniforms? Your thoughts? I think you're right. Yes, I don't think they would ever let it go that far. 
but I don't know if if it um, was even brought. I've heard it could go on the ballot. If it was even brought put up put on the ballot, what would their reaction be? And could it be put on a ballot instead of for a state to do that? Well, somebody's going to start screaming Texas be white, especially. And this is why when I looked, went to the Border Patrol records, actual physical records, and looked at the sectors that have the most illegal aliens crossing, there are five sectors in Texas, and not one of them is the most, has the most immigrants crossing that border. The the border, the sector with the largest numbers of illegals crossing that border is in Tucson. So is there a reason, do you guys see why they're concentrating on Texas when they should be concentrating on Arizona? That's very interesting, Mike. That's the old bait-and-switch trick. And I find it interesting, too, that the the place that they're focusing on is called Eagle Pass, which, of course, will evoke uh, patriotic feelings. Oh, the American Eagle, that's our national bird. and So it's a symbolic uh, name there to, to... you know, kind of evoke further emotion in that one particular thing. Uh, and I did not know that the, the the worst crossing is in Tucson, or in Phoenix, I guess. Well, it's actually called the Tucson Sector, which Sect- is, okay. yeah, and there's five sectors in Texas because of its immense land area. But there's okay. only only one sector in Arizona, and that is called the Tucson Sector. And I they see. have... Uh, normally, from all of the official records from the Border Patrol, they have as many as three to four times the number crossing that any sector in Texas has. That's amazing. Uh, and, you know, just one further comment on the secession thing, uh, kind of bouncing off what you said, is that it would be extremely difficult for a state to do this. And I think another factor that we haven't mentioned yet is that it's unknown how many embedded CIA and intelligence agency types are embedded inside the state governments. They're just watching and looking for signs of trouble like that who would immediately, you know, uh, turn coat or pretend like they were on the side of the people seceding and then actually be feeding intelligence to the feds and then, you know, set everyone up for a big fall. So that, that's another thing that complicates it greatly because I, I know for a fact academia is has even universities have intelligence agents, CIA agents embedded oh, yes. as professors at universities. So we can only imagine how many are embedded in state government. Well, here's a question I got for you guys. Let me throw this posit at you. And that that's a very astute observation again, Dave. Very good. Uh, but here's a question that I thought of as you gentlemen were talking And that is this. What if they said, okay, in Texas, we're going to put it on the ballot. We're going to have an election. They call a special election. And we're going to have a ballot on whether to secede or not. Well, we all know that elections are as crooked as a dog's hind leg and have been since the very beginning of the country. So what would happen if they put it on the ballot and the people rejected it? What would be the, uh, what would you call it, the aftermath of that, Stephen? 
I don't think anyone could trust an election, you know, a, a vote for that. But yeah, I think they would steal it. That's what I think would happen if they put it on there. Was my answer to that question? I guess they would they would steal the election even if the people wanted it. They and for them to there's no unless we fix the election, you'd never know. And I don't want to fix the election. I'm done with them. You know, forget that. I don't. I'll we'll we'll lead ourselves. How about that? But. Well, I agree. Uh, Dave, what were your thoughts that if they actually put it on a ballot and a, allegedly the voters rejected secession? Well, it, yeah, I, I think it's a stretch that it would ever make it onto a ballot. It, it's going to have to be done through a different way. But if it was, uh, I, I would imagine that they would have all kinds of events uh, there to disrupt it. Um, you know, sort of mini false flags, you could say. Uh, and um, I think that uh, they wouldn't, there's no way they'd allow that to happen through voting. And you would have an absolute uproar uh, amongst, uh, you know, all the controlled people, uh, the embedded CIA people in the media would go absolutely hog wild. And um, I think that the, the states would also be any state that tries to do this is going to be targeted economically. They'll be cut off from all federal funding, of course, immediately, uh, including pensions uh, and Social Security, all of that. So the economic pain in the short term would be really incredible. And it would be uh, you would have to have a very committed bunch of people who are willing to work very hard and give up everything to do this. And I, I don't think that exists in America, at least not in enough people at this time. Uh, we've been conditioned to be very passive, uh, but I think things are going to get a lot worse very soon here in this country. As I said earlier, this is becoming a country of rich and poor. That's part of the grand scheme here is to wipe out the Marxism. middle class. Complete Marxism. I'm sorry, Dave. Yeah, yeah, absolutely it is. It's absolutely it's Marxism. Uh, and uh, but I, I'll tell you just from my dealings here in, in the, uh, Southern California, I'm seeing more extremely wealthy people than I've ever seen in my life, and I'm seeing more poor and homeless people than I've ever seen in my life. So that's the future, guys, and I see the signs of it, the handwriting on the wall, all over the place. Well, Dave, I think you just hit a home run, buddy. Uh, you know, and that is something I think we all need to think about. If a state actually came up and said, look, we're going to put on our ballot whether we want to secede or not. What if the federal government did exactly what you just said, Dave? What if the federal government said, all right, you folks there in Texas or wherever, uh, you go ahead and vote for secession, which will mean that no one, everybody on welfare will no longer get a check. All of you retired military will no longer get a check. All of you retired folks will no longer get Social Security or Medicare. So go ahead and vote your vote your uh, self-interest. I, I don't think you would find one state in this country where the people would vote to secede if the federal government said that. What do you think, Stephen? I think you're probably right. But they may try to engineer this thing. To, I was thinking that you, Texas is not Crimea, is what I was thinking, and uh, 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 a Donbass. Uh, it's not uh, an exact thing that happened over there. But I was thinking where they actually did vote to secede over there, and 
But yeah, that ain't going to happen here the same way. But they do want to, things to go that that way here. I do believe that that is the goal to set this the U.S. Uh, on fire, basically, if they can. That's why they're bringing all these people in. Well, I think you're exactly right, and uh, I don't see secession unless it's done on an individual level, unless the people, as Dave alluded to, unless the people actually have the courage to say, okay, take away my freebies if you want. I still want rightful liberty. I still want to be a free person in this country, so take it. I don't think you would find, what, 0.0001% of the people who would say that? Your thoughts? Well, yeah, and, and once, I agree with that completely, and once the federal government starts killing people in the streets or uh, in any kind of a standoff, it won't be long before the optics of that look pretty bad. Uh, they can do it a few times, say, oh, it was a bunch of terrorists, nothing to see here. But if that happens over time, it's going to be very difficult to make it look like they're the good guys and they're fighting for freedom as they gun people down in the streets and in their homes. So, um, like I said earlier, it's going to take a level of commitment and willing to die for a cause uh, and the willingness to give up everything for one's freedom. That's what it's going to come down to. And as you said the numbers of those men are very small. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I mean, I live in a military town, and uh, there's an awful lot of retired military personnel in this town. And there's one thing I've noticed is that almost every one of them have a disabled vet license tag, which means they are also getting disability and I promise you that if you walked up to Joe Sixpack out here and told him, uh, well, I know you spent uh, 20-some years in the Air Force, and you've got this retirement, and you've got these bennies coming in, you've got disability, and yet you're, you're 100% disabled, yet you're still working a job, I don't believe you would find hardly anybody who would say, well, I'm willing to give that up for freedom. I just don't see it happening. Uh, and I hate to be the eternal pessimist here, guys, but I consider myself a realist. And I well, just yeah, don't my, see it happening. Yeah, Go ahead, I, Dave. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. And this is the golden handcuff theory, so to speak. And it's very, very effective. And uh, they, these people know human psychology better than uh, on a level that very few people understand. And you're absolutely right about that. There's no question. It's kind of like on, on a smaller level when, uh, you know, they were forcing all these cops and firemen and hospital workers to take the COVID shot or you lose your job. But look how few people walked away, even though the evidence was already out there that this thing was dangerous and very possibly deadly, depending on your particular set of genetics. Uh, very few people did it. Most took the shot and kept their job. They kept the golden handcuffs on. Well, I agree, Stephen. Yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you too. I don't think that there are many people that would do this. It's only, like I said, I had to secede in my mind first and now take what parts, take 
back ownership of what parts of my life I can't. They make it almost impossible to live without that. They have set up this system that if you're you, it's hard to extricate yourself from it. But it's not natural. It goes back. It goes back to like those people, those money changers. Remember one of those things that Christ said about uh, the sparrows and all. You know, they don't buy or sell or whatever. There's a way to live without those money changers. If we if we could just go back to it or find a different one, because that's 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 the heart of the issue to me. No, I totally agree. And uh, that is why, gentlemen, I think that secession is a pipe dream. Well, Mike, can can I ask you a question? Please do. Please do. Uh, Do do you think it's possible for a county to secede? Well, Dave, did you know that there's actually precedents for a city seceding from a county? No. That actually happened no. in Colorado. Wow. They but actually you, had a, a city actually seceded. I said a county. I was wrong. We had There was a city that actually seceded from Denver because they were tired of the oppression of that city government. And so they lawfully actually seceded. Now, no one wants to bring that up anywhere, but that is precedent. I believe. Go ahead, Dave. Well, uh, so my question is, do you think it's possible for a county to try to secede from the state and and the the country? Or is that because that, that you're doing a, such a smaller number of, of men and people? I mean, let's be honest. It's going to be men that do this, not women. <laughs> let's be honest here. Uh, uh, do, do you think um, that is possible or is that just another pipe dream? And if so, if it is a pipe dream, what is the strategy for individuals who want to have freedom? I remember back, I think it was around 2005, 2006, somewhere in that neighborhood, that there were 20 counties on the western slope in Colorado that uh, got together and wanted to secede from the state of Colorado and become part of the state of Wyoming. Now, that all fell apart, and I'm sure that there was a lot of internal machinations, political machinations, that took that apart. But now we've got parts of Idaho, that I mean parts of uh, Oregon, that want to secede and become uh, to go into the state of Idaho. So yeah. we've got these secession movements, but uh, they never come to any fruition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, I was just up in Eastern Oregon uh, last week, and it's because, you know, Eastern Oregon is so completely different than the rest of the state. Eastern Oregon is very rural. It's very, sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, kind of redneck and old school, the people in it. And it's, yes. it's a completely different kind of person that's in Seattle, uh, in uh, Portland, or any of the big cities, because there's such a huge contrast, and I can see why. They want that. They, they, it's like oil and water. They're completely different people. Uh, it's it's interesting, but yeah, it never goes anywhere, and I don't think this will either. Well, I don't either. I think uh, that all of this agitation is pre-planned agitation. I know I've got friends who say I don't believe there's any such thing as a psyop, uh, you know, <laughs> and 
all I can do is walk off and, you know, because you're not going to get through that concrete head. They have decided something and they're not going to accept facts. It's like that lady told me in 1999. I don't care how many facts you have. You're not changing my mind. What was that line about the devil's greatest trick? <laughs> For convincing you he doesn't exist, maybe? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> that is absolutely true. And uh, my, uh, you guys just made me think of my grandfather again. I'll never forget that. I remember him asking somebody one day, what's the difference between a Northern Baptist and a Southern Baptist? And the fellow said, well, I don't know. And my grandpa says, a Northern Baptist says there ain't no hell. And a Southern Baptist says, a hell they ain't. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I tell you what, that uh, that mindset and you're not going to find it in the big cities, guys. You're not going to find a mindset. Oh, here comes the music. We'll be back on the other side, guys. From Nazareth he came with the ragtag band to bring a revolution. Some would make him king. Others couldn't stand for that. Was a solution, but he rose again. Wise men follow him, but he rose again. Wise men follow him. Thank God for the renegades. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. Tom Bolton for Ease Off. I know so many of you are finding our EZ4 Carcass Drop and Lift an essential tool for your meat processing operation, but today I want to spotlight four of our new products. First, our right height hog cradles with steel or aluminum frames. Our customers love this back-saving innovation that enhances sanitation and speeds production. Next, our beef cradles with stainless steel or aluminum frames eliminate rust and corrosion. We hope you'll compare our quality and prices for this essential part of your processing line. Our cradles are especially effective when used with our power skinner. And finally, our hook tumbler will keep your hooks clean and polished. EaseOff.com. We make pigs fly. Cows, too. EaseOff, LLC, 417-932-6419. February is heart month, and every year, Extendivite has a sale. This year is no different. Extendivite is regularly $69.95 plus shipping and handling for a two-month supply. In February, Extendivite is only $57.50 for a two-month supply plus shipping and handling. Extendivite is a combination of garlic, cayenne, hawthorn, bilberry, ginkgo biloba, valerian, and milk thistle. These ingredients work synergistically to improve your overall health. So don't delay. Join the Extendivite family today. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit Extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 
to have you as part of the Wild Pastures family and we look forward to bringing you the pasture-raised meats that you and your family will love. Now we started Wild Pastures because so many of my clients would tell me they just couldn't find high quality pasture-raised meats and even when they did it was so expensive that they couldn't afford to eat it regularly. Now I'm not talking about the bottom of the barrel healthy meats that have claims like natural or free range or even cage free terms that were actually created by the industrial food industry to make us feel all warm and fuzzy about buying their low quality products. I'm talking about truly nourishing pasture-raised meats, the kind that you'll never really find in a grocery store. Our farmers are doing things beyond organic. Our beef is 100% grass-fed and grass-finished and raised on pastures free from chemicals and other pesticides. Our chickens are 100% pasture-raised, where they get their natural diet of grass and forage and insects. We will never settle for free range, which is actually one of the most deceptive terms in the chicken industry. In fact, less than 0.1% of the chicken consumed in the United States is truly pasture-raised in the way that ours is. And our pork is 100% pasture-raised as well. So if you care about where your food comes from, then you have definitely made it to the right place. As a Wild Pastures member, you'll be supporting the most highly principled farmers in America and getting the most nutrient-dense, nourishing, and sustainable meats in the world. But I'm confident you'll love being part of our mission at Wild Pastures, and you will really love the delicious, nourishing meats that we're going to deliver straight to your door. Visit republicbroadcasting.org and click the Wild Pastures banner ad. Secure a shipment today. Beef, poultry, and pork raised the way nature intended. and the renegade round table and uh guys i just saw something someone sent me something and i haven't got any confirmation on this i was wondering Stephen, if you had heard anything about a trucker convoy which is now en route to texas to take our border back have you heard anything about that i have heard about that we talked about that um, Friday on the roundtable, some and Dave Kopech had uh, interviewed some people that were doing that. And even Friday night, I was someone mentioned it to me. And when I was picking up some food for Wendy and, and, and Ian at, at a restaurant, they saw the shirt I had on and commented on it. They said someone was making shirts to support this. It's very similar to that thing going on in, that went on in Canada, the trucker strike going or, or convoy. It's uh, it seems like it might be, uh, I don't know. You know, it, the people have 
it's a setup. It's what I think that they they just um, are going to um, be used somehow. I'm so, I fear for them, you know, after what's all's happened, you know. But uh, that's that's what I know so far. There's a lot more uh, than I haven't said. I, I didn't talk to them personally, and uh, someone is aware of it. That this piece, very similar kind of thing, you know, that's going on. Well, uh, you know what. You know what really worries me about this, Stephen, is that if there are people who have the courage to stand up and they all get concentrated in one area, how easy it will be for the government to take them all out at one time. Yeah, well, okay, yes, and corralling people the same way they did those bikers in uh, Waco, and then try were planning to do again here in South Carolina with another that, that they had made peace before, but they were setting up surrounding the people here in South Carolina, the State Bureau. Okay, I talked to somebody who was involved with that, but they did that to Waco. They've, they've done this to us in Charlottesville, January the sixth. We got to stop falling for those kind of things. Okay, I'm not saying that we don't have to do something and stuff but part of the people who are going there are part of the cajun navy too who i remember from back when harvey hit texas and they were doing good god's work you might say they were doing rescuing people and trying to do stuff that the feds were right. refusing to do but you know when it comes to there nobody and that's their intent that's what these people's intention are i believe but, you know, there's always, just like you said, the nefarious actors, and then there's also the scum surrounding them. Well, let me throw another scenario at you, Stephen, while we wait on to see if uh, Scorpio can work his way back. Uh, let me throw this at you. So they get a high concentration of people in Texas who are there to support, you know, the people to protect our borders. And suddenly... There is a drone strike, and they take out a bunch of those people, and our government blames it on China, Iran, Russia, you name it. What do we have then? Um, that would be – I don't see why they would do that. I guess the American people might fall for it, especially Russia. I mean Russia has offered to, to support Texas place basically, you know, um, but – China or Iran, especially Iran these days, if they were able to, but I can't understand why Iran would do that. That well, I'm not saying would, you know how I'm they. Saying, I'm just saying how could they sell it? I understand, yes, sir. Oh, it'd be easy to sell to the numb nuts in this country. Yeah, you're probably it would, right. You know, all of the emotions would just come rushing to the front, and look, Iran took out our brave men on the border look what they did yeah let's nuke them wouldn't wouldn't we be playing right into the government's hands with that 19 crazed men with box cutters can you believe it <laughs> well american believed that didn't they they did didn't they they sure did well you know what i seeker what i've been saying for years now uh, Stephen, if the American public, the great majority of American public, will believe that World Trade Center building number seven fell directly into its footprint at free fall <laughs> speed and it wasn't hit by a damn thing, if they will believe that, they will believe the Easter Bunny will attack America. Mm. They'll believe anything. And the other thing that concerns me as we look at this, and we all know this, I don't care what state you have lived in, 
and I've lived in quite a few, you will notice that the good people who live in the rural parts of the country are always outvoted by the people in the big cities. Been that way for they started here. You've yeah, well, explained that a lot of times. That, that, yeah. yeah, that that we the people is a lie. Yes, the Constitution was designed to create majority rule, and then with a hundred years of the tenth plank of the Communist Manifesto in the education system, they've created a bunch of idiots. And then not only that, but then we came up with television in the fifties which has just really captivated the minds of so many people. And then we've got cell phones and the Internet. Like you said earlier, nobody's ever, no kid's ever bored anymore, right? No, their mind is being filled with junk. It's like uh, they have to. You have to look hard to find any truth or nuggets or, you know, it is so much a fire hose of BS coming at you. It's like I remember them thinking how, oh, the Internet and all the information, people will be so much smarter then. And no, they're just getting too overwhelmed with so much BS that it's harder and harder for them without learning things basically from the beginning like with the like we did in books and things, you know, getting a basic understanding of things that it's hard for them to put things together. It's it, it, it just you get programmed instead of educated. You get indoctrinated. You get trained. And, and that's that's they turn the schools to look like little prisons now, too. And they are set up where they have locked doors and security and got your ID and this and then they put the masks on them and keep them six feet apart and march them in and out I mean come on look you don't see what's happening here right it's yeah I can see it uh, and a lot of other people can too but that's still so many who just are sleepwalking into oblivion well is there in your mind Stephen, and I know you've thought about this as much as any of us have ever done. In your mind, is there a solution to this? Is there a way out for those of us who cherish liberty, who cherish freedom, and know that you can't put a price on it? They can't buy it from you. They can't offer you money and take it away because you won't take it. Are there enough of that spirit in this country to stand up and say, not no, but hell no? I don't know if there how many is enough. I just know that I got enough for me because I found the only way out was in. I had to look in and decide I'm going to do the best I can with this and control what I'm able to. And once I made that decision, I was amazed at the the results I got from acting on the knowledge I'd gained instead of just blathering about it, you know, and I want to continue to do that, but it's a process, you know, it's a kind of a dance. You learn as you go, sort of speak, so to speak, but it's, you know, it gives me hope personally, but the whole world's burning down. You know, it, it, there's calm in the eye of the storm is the way Richard puts it sometimes, but I'm just glad to be here and doing the best I can uh, to, to help, try to encourage and enlighten people 
And, and I want people don't want people to get black pilled, even though it looks so dang dark. But we get together at the Dixie Republic in real life. You know, I wish we were sitting there at, at the Confederate Quarter having this conversation with some coffee and, and some whiskey cake. You know, there's if there is any solution to be found, and this is going to be at a place like that with people like us getting together in person without the phones and without monitoring. It's going to have to be creating a new way to live for us because we just don't fit in this old world anymore. It's like that guy's soul living in a new world with an old soul. We're going to have to find us some kind of refuge. Well, you know, uh, and you made me think of uh, our friend Paul at the Dixie Republic. Are you aware that his mother passed away and he's on his way to to Louisiana to bury her? Oh, no. Um, thank you for telling me that. I didn't know our prayers with uh Oh yeah, that, that I did not know that. Thank you. And y'all, RBN, y'all remember too, please. Well, I would hope that uh, you know the folks who are listening, who are familiar with Republic Broadcasting, and they know the tremendous job that Paul and his beautiful wife have done up there, uh, and what they try to do on a continuing basis. I hope that you folks in the RBN community will, uh, you know, express your condolences and keep. Paul and his family in your prayers, please. I meant to mention that earlier, Stephen. Uh, thanks for uh, prodding my uh, brain there. To uh, yes, bring I, that I'm up. glad you mentioned it. I, I'm sorry, so sorry to hear that. I'm, I, I really uh, have a great. I, I love those people. Those they're really good folks up there. Uh, Paul and Lynn and Johnny Reb and the people I meet at the Dixie Republic have become like a family, too extended family, just like RBN has in a way. And I'm really sorry to hear that. Well, me too. And you and I both know what it's like when you and, you know, I'm really hoping our good buddy Jim Ram, you know, came from Ohio and he just absolutely loved it. He can't wait to come back. Scorpio uh, is back with us. And Scorpio has said that he and Alina would like to come out uh, when we have a uh, a, a new uh, deal at uh, Republic Broadcasting. And, uh, you know, and Cal and his wife, uh, Joni, they want to come. Man, I tell you what, it's just a different world there, isn't it, Stephen? Yes, it is. It's it, you get in a room full of like-minded people like that. You know that you're all kind of on the same page for a lot of things. It's 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 invigorating for your spirit. It really is. Well, you know, I think the greatest thing that they uh, are able to kind of give to everyone else when we have those meetings there at the Dixie Republic is the thing we begin to understand is we're not here alone. Yeah. You don't feel as isolated. You see that there are a lot of us out there. and If this thing spreads, eventually we're going to surround them. But I have to agree with you about John Q. Public and the six-pack. And Oh, my gosh, you know, that, that Boy, that's frustrating. True. Well, uh, Scorp, you're back with us, buddy. Uh, everything go okay? Yeah, yeah. Just a little drama going on here. Uh, uh, just with the atmospheric river, it actually rain. But we we got an alert that uh, not to travel. It's uh, too dangerous to drive in the rain now. Uh, so <laughs> it, it's it's only in California. Seriously, guys. <laughs> Don't drive in the rain. Oh, I love that one. Uh, well, uh, guys, uh, 
one of the things I was thinking about here, and I keep thinking about it, it keeps popping into my head oh so often, and that's the words of Patrick Henry. And his, and I'm, I'm going to kind of quote, uh, you know, and I'm not going to be exact in the quote here, but I want to uh, transfer the thought. He said that when the people are in the right and they're standing for the right, the good Lord will bring people to their aid. Is that in chance what the only chance that we actually have? Because I don't think you're going to get enough people together in this country to uh, stop watching football, get off their butts, quit watching television, and actually do something. I just don't, uh, and I see people every day. I see a lot of people on, you know, on my travels, and I just don't see that spirit of people who are willing to sacrifice anything for their children and their grandchildren in the future. That's the thing I keep trying to bring up to people, and that's the thing I think of so often. I'm fighting the fight I'm fighting. Hopefully that my kids and my grandkids don't have to live through what I see coming. Your Me thoughts, too. Stephen? Absolutely agree with you. And the only, I have met a lot more people that uh, think the way I do than I knew existed a few years ago by starting to do this. So I do see that there's a hope for the remnant because we're we going to persevere. They, they're not going to wipe us out. They never have and they never will. Well, one of the things that you asked me to do, Stephen, and, uh, you know, I uh, thought about it. Uh, you know, I'm going to let you guys uh, chat here for just a second while I find it. But in 2005, when I was on the border with the uh, Minuteman Project, and we had the wonderful Republican Party come in there and shut that down, uh, and, you know, that's what I've said. I was involved in three major things in my life, and every time it was the Republican Party that shut it down. First was the POWMIA movement back in the 80s, and then along came the, uh, you know, uh, the Minuteman Project, and then, uh, of course, the Tea Parties. And it was has been the Republicans that have always shut those type movements down rather than encourage them. But uh, would you gentlemen uh, chat there for just a second while okay. I try to bring up that article that I uh, published when I left the Minutemen, uh, when we left the border, and I came back and I wrote an article uh, about yeah. is it immigration or is it invasion? And I would like to read that as we close out. If you gentlemen will chat and let me find it. You know, I remember that Tea Party. Glenn Beck co-opted the Tea Party and destroyed what was born there, it seemed like to me, Dave. What he, I remember really waking up to a lot of more stuff during that time period, but I still was watching Alex Jones. Okay, that, guys, I've, yeah. I, oh, I found it, Stephen. So let right. me try to run through this because I think it's real important. Folks, I hate to read to you, but this is an article. I was writing for a libertarian website at the time called lewrockwell.com. I had been on the border, and I wrote this article, and Lou Rockwell refused to publish it. And, but I think it's very relevant, and I want to read it very quickly if I can. So, folks, I'm not going to go very slowly with this. In the month of April, I traveled to the Arizona border and worked as a volunteer leader with the Minuteman Project. Upon returning, I wrote an article which was published at a leading libertarian website. 
For several days that followed, I received many emails, including fellow writers at the website, who took serious issue with my stance on protecting our borders. I understand the issue this raises with those who believe in the open border policy advocated by many libertarians. My question is, can we live with the theory of open borders when obviously what we are experiencing is not people migrating for a better way of life, but an invasion? The one question that I never received an answer to from all of those who wrote me in opposition to my position was this. With the current open border policy in the welfare state, how do we protect the private property of not only those who live on the U.S. side of the border, but others whose private property is being destroyed by the criminal element that constantly flows across our porous borders? While one of my most respected writers at this venue touches briefly on the objections to free immigration in a welfare society by Hans Hermann Hoppe, Hoppe in his work, I believe there was absent a delving into the meat of Hoppe's argument in which he addresses what he believes to be an invasion as opposed to free immigration. In Hoppe's work, which is titled On Free Trade and Restricted Immigration, he states, and I quote, in light of steadily mounting immigration pressure from the world's low-wage regions, three general strategies of dealing with immigration have been proposed, unconditional free immigration, conditional free immigration, and restrictive immigration. While our main concern will be with the latter two alternatives, a few observations regarding the unconditional free immigration position are appropriate, if only to illustrate the extent of its intellectual bankruptcy. And then I go on, and my, this is my part. As for conditional free immigration, Hoppe's words are certainly relevant if one is a close-up observer of our basically unprotected borders today and the millions here illegally who demand their share of welfare entitlements and politicians who seek votes by insisting these immigrants receive the fruits of the labor of those who actually work for their money. Quote, back to Hoppe. Since unconditional free immigration must be regarded as a prescription for national suicide, the typical position among free traders is the alternative of conditional free immigration. According to this view, the U.S. and Switzerland would have to first return to unrestricted free trade and abolish all tax-funded welfare programs, and only then should they open their borders to everyone who wanted to come. In the meantime, while the welfare state is still in place, immigration would have to be made subject to the condition that immigrants are excluded from domestic welfare entitlements. And we've done just the opposite. But here Hoppe draws a distinction between free trade and free immigration. And I quote, there is no analogy between free trade and free immigration and restricted trade and restricted immigration. The phenomenon of trade and, and immigration are different in a fundamental respect, and the meaning of free and restricted in conjunction with both terms is categorically different. People can move and migrate goods and services of themselves, but they, as goods and services, cannot. Put differently, while someone can migrate from one place to another without anyone else wanting him to do so, goods and services cannot be shipped from place to place unless both sender and receiver agree. Trivial as this distinction may appear, it has momentous consequences. For free in conjunction with trade then means trade by invitation of private households and firms only, and restricted trade does not mean protection of households and firms from uninvited goods or services but invasion and abrogation of the rights of private households and firms to extend or deny invitations to their own property. In contrast, free in conjunction with immigration does not mean immigration by invitation of individual households and firms, but unwanted invasion or forced integration. 
Well, folks, I see we're probably going to get close on time here, so I'm going to skip through some of Hoppe's comments because I think uh, here is uh, the more important part. In my view, Hoppe could not be more correct in his belief that the government should protect its citizens from the foreign invasion of those who enter our country illegally. In fact, our Constitution demands it. Article 4, Section 4 of the U.S. Constitution, and I quote, The United States shall guarantee to every state in the Union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion, unquote. I understand how one can idealistically look at free immigration and believe that to place restrictions on the free flow of people is inconsistent with liberty. Those who support this view should travel to the border and see firsthand the destruction being wrought on the private property of the citizens who live there. Slaughtered livestock, water lines dug up from the ground and left running in an environment where water is as valuable as gold. Fences destroyed, homes invaded and burned, citizens literally afraid to walk to the mailbox unarmed. Private property owners who have actually deserted their property to avoid the constant harassment. Well, guys, looks like I'm not going to finish. Looks like we got to the end there very quickly. I will try to, uh, I'll send this one for uh, folks, thanks for joining us tonight. Dave and Steve, you guys are fantastic. Thanks, everyone. Thanks a lot, y'all. Thanks, Dave. hanging over their heads whenever they're using pharmaceutical drugs. For some, the short-term relief can turn into an opioid addiction nightmare. Have you ever wondered why CBD oil is a billion-dollar industry? It's because it works better than opioids and is actually healthy for you. 
However, CBD oil is stripped of all other helpful compounds found in the hemp plant. According to neuroscientists, the whole hemp plant, otherwise known as hemp paste, is even more effective than the chemically processed CBD oil. Are you ready to take back your health? You can try hemp paste for the price of a cup of coffee. HempPaste.com slash RBN. Free shipping on orders over $50. See the banners for Hemp Paste at republicbroadcasting.org and visit HempPaste.com slash RBN.